This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. We're talking about disability and mental health. We are trying to define disability and the stigma that comes with it, which leads to mental health. Hi guys, welcome to yet another episode of our podcast, The SOS Show. I'm your host, Suchita, and today we have with us Dr. Satyendur Singh. Dr. Singh is a doctor at the University College of Medical Sciences and Guru Tegh Bahadur Hospital, Delhi. He's a physiologist by profession. He contracted poliomyelitis at the age of nine months, but went on to complete Bachelor of Medicine, Bachelor of Surgery. He's the first ever Indian to win the prestigious Henry Viscardi Achievement Awards given to extraordinary leaders in global disability community. He's a noted disability activist, especially for his sustained efforts in making public places accessible for disabled persons. Hi, Dr. Satendra. Welcome to our podcast, The SOS Show. And uh, thank you for taking out time uh, for this very important conversation on disability and mental health. So, Dr. Satendra, tell me, you're a doctor, which is like an MBBS doctor, and you are a professor. Uh, Would you like to sort of elaborate when we're talking about disability? How do we define disability? Thank you so much, Suchita, for having me. I am extremely excited to speak with you. Uh, I love your podcast, and it's something that's been very meaningful to me. Thank so, you. Thank you so much. Coming back to your question, uh, the you know definition of uh, disability it is something which was earlier quite controversial, hmm. uh, but uh, in two thousand in in twenty first century, you know, we have this United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, mm-hmm. which is the biggest human rights instrument which uh, views disabled people as holders of uh, human rights. So that was a convention which has changed the lives of people with disabilities around the globe. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the definition adopted by UNCRPD, uh, they Mm say that people with disabilities Mm -hmm. include those who have long-term physical, mental, Mm -hmm. intellectual, or sensory impairments, which in interactions with various barriers may hinder their full and effective participation in society on an equal basis with others. So if you see, this is an evolving definitions and very clearly they have sort of, you know, uh, differentiated between a very big myth, which is existing in the society that disability lies within the individual. It is not so. Mm-hmm. So as per this definition, what we mean is that, you know, I may be having a sort of a physical impairment. For example, I have polio, but when mm-hmm. there is an absence of ramps, I am, I become disabled. Right. Similarly, if there is a, somebody who is having a visual impairment and if the websites are not accessible, or, or the, you know, uh, uh, the uh, material is not in the braille format, they become visually disabled. Same is true for people who are hearing impaired. If there is no sign language interpreter, they become hearing disabled. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Satyendra, is this definition like a universal identification for disability or it's sort of uh, restricted and it varies from country to country or continent to continent? No, the good thing with the United Nations Convention is that uh, majority of the countries have ratified it. Okay. So India ratified the convention. In fact, India was one of the major country who ratified the convention in 2007. Mm-hmm. So what is the meaning of ratification is that when you ratify a UN convention, it becomes legally binding on you to change mm-hmm. all your existing policies, laws, you know, guidelines, everything in line with UNCRPD. 
And that was the reason why uh, we changed our existing PWD Act 1995 into the Rights of Persons with Disabilities Act 2016 on the basis of UNCRPD. And same is true with Mental Health Care Act 2017. It was to bring in harmony with the UNCRPD. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Satinder, tell me this. You are a doctor, you're a professor, you have won, you're the first Indian to win the prestigious Henry Viscardi Achievement Awards given to extraordinary leaders in global disability community. I mean, you're doing so much of work. How did your life sort of, you know, get entangled when you first found yourself uh, with uh, symptoms or uh, which you would, I, I would prefer you to define in terms of di- disability? Yeah, so it's been a very interesting, you know, journey. Uh, in a way, it has been a blessing in disguise because I was born in a village in Haryana. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was nine months old, uh, you know, I contracted poliomyelitis. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of that, we have to move from uh, our village in Rewadi to come back to uh, the capital of India. And because of that, all of uh, us, you know, my brothers, we got education in the best of the schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, off and on, you know, as happens very naturally with uh, people with disabilities, we do face discrimination in our lives. Right. But then gradually, uh, you know, uh, it is very commonly said, which is true also, that we develop a very thick skin because it is so common, the, you know, discrimination and harassment happening to us that we tend mm-hmm. to ignore that. And then, you know, I followed the dreams of my brother. Like him, I, you know, entered into medical college and then I became a doctor. And in fact, to be honest, till I, I finished my MBBS and I did my MD also, uh, but I never actually related with what we call as disability identity. Okay. So, because, and the reason for that was that, you know, our medical curriculum, if you look mm-hmm. at our entire medical curriculum, they view disability as, you know, as, as, as a problem. They see disabled right. people, disabled patients as somebody who needs to be fixed, that there mm-hmm. is a, some problem in you which needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. And I grew with that identity throughout my medical curriculum, even throughout my MD, I never realized that it is not my fault or that it is the fault of the environment or the system. And when I joined back in Delhi as faculty post at University College of Medical Sciences, and then I actually realized because I applied for the same post for which I was selected, permanent mm-hmm. faculty post of assistant professor in University College of Medical Sciences, which mm-hmm. is under central government. So I applied for the same post mm-hmm. uh, in UPSC Central Health Services. Mm-hmm. And they rejected my candidature over there saying that you, uh, how can you apply for such faculty posts? Because these posts are not suitable to be manned by persons with disabilities. Mm-hmm. So that came as a shock to me. Uh, later, I filed right to information RTIs. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that it was not only in my specialty, even in all the medical specialities, all the surgical or the medical specialties, they were debarring qualified doctors with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And then it hit me hard. And then I read about, you know, what are your rights? So I was actually an accidental activist, to be honest. Mm-hmm. When I faced the discrimination, then I, you know, learned about UNCRPD. Then I learned about the social model of disability, which says that, you know, that uh, the uh, disability lies in the environment. And that was mm-hmm. very true. This mm-hmm. was a classical example of attitudinal barrier. The right. attitudes of people sitting in the Vigyan Bhavan, Ministry of Health and Family Welfare, deciding right. in their ivory towers that 
who will be suitable for this post or not right without ever interacting without ever involving any doctor with disability in those panels they were making calls for us right and we had already proved our metal you know we did mbbs nobody questioned our in- competence nobody mm. questioned our competence when we did md and ms but right. when he applied for specialty post they were saying that these are not suitable in fact they have given that in affidavit in the court that these posts are not suitable so what followed was a you know a five year struggle and after that around 1700 posts were actually unlocked for uh, doctors with disabilities so that's mm. how my journey started and that's how i began to learn that you know what is the medical and the social model of disability what are human rights what is even crpd mm-hmm. and how to fight your own battle right amazing tell me dr satendra what kind of uh, you know of course you bounced back and you fought you know and uh, you opened the path for a lot of people but what kind of uh, mental health does a person go through when they are being discriminated like this yeah so chita that's a very good question because uh, many at times uh, we have seen that uh, disabled people uh, they are fighting very lengthy battles Yes. So there are demons outside because of the societal and attitudinal barriers. And mm-hmm. what happens is that uh, when there is nobody to guide you, when even your curriculum tells you that you have a disability which needs to be fixed, mm-hmm. then you tend to internalize that ableism. Mm-hmm. So I grew with that identity that it is my problem that I'm not able to, you know, reach in time to the lecture theater because my hospital was on the other side of the medical college. and usually after you know after our clinics when you we have to rush for a 12 to 1 lecture to mm. the lecture theater which was in a medical college people used to rush and run and it was for us there were two of us in our three of us in our medical uh, college who were having polio and muscular dystrophy and we were the last one to you know enter the classes because you know there was no lift over there right and there were a lot of other barriers also so we always grew with that identity that we are part of the problem Mm. so this is something which affects your psyche also and you tend to internalize this thing that you know this is that that you you tend to go on a low self esteem absolutely and that is why uh, you know uh, right now when we when we talk about uncrpd or social model we yeah. say that we are disabled and proud because now uh, i have embraced my disability identity mm-hmm. because my disability identity has given me the power of perseverance and resilience Right. I was in a permanent faculty post now how does it matter whether or not I was selected on the same post in UPSC or not but right. I chose to you know fought for other people because I thought that it was fundamentally wrong right it was a question of ethics so I said if I am not going to fight this how can you expect somebody who is going for an interview in the UPSC to fight a legal battle because they will say that not found suitable it is very simple logic for them to use right and there was the beginning how i did that and i give you one more example of that in uh, you know prevalent in our curriculum also if you can just tell me how many years back was that this was uh, 2010 okay in delhi yeah right and even in that form also upsc when they again advertised the post they asked that you need to submit photograph showing your disability in a format disability certification right and many of us from uh, you know that time uh, we all have certificates where you know they have i mean medical doctors i mean they were all doctors because who prepared disability certifications so they have actually uh, you know asked us to affix a photograph showing our disability in that particular format 
And now I, you know, look back and realize that, you know, what a, you know, drastic violation, gross violation of medical ethics that is, that mm. you are undermining the autonomy of a person. Forget about a patient. I mean, of a medical student. I was a medical student when I get that uh, disability certification. And it was my seniors, uh, the head of department of one, uh, you know, uh, department and other residents who actually find nothing wrong in that certification that, you know, why somebody has to when they're already examining them why need why you need to portray showcase their disability why you need to photograph their disability on that piece of paper yes it violated medical ethics it violated autonomy it violated our right to justice mm-hmm. and then again i you know uh, you know complained uh, filed this petition in the court of chief commissioners for uh, persons with disabilities and because of that that performa was uh, removed and, and it is no longer used but for a very long time, educated people, medical doctors used to affix sign on that performer and they found nothing objectionable into that. Mm-hmm. That's that's very surprising. But doctor, you were fighting alone. Did you have your colleagues with you, your family or, you know, other people around? Uh, initially, it is very difficult because that time I was new to Delhi. I had no connections anywhere. Mm-hmm. And... Again, you know, many people said that what is the need when you already have a permanent job? Why you are, you know, uh, mm. going after this thing? Uh, but again, my family supported me. And more than that, I believe that it is, you know, my responsibility towards my community that, you know, if yeah. I do not raise this point now, mm. because nobody told me these things when I was in a medical school. Right. Nobody told me that, you know, what is happening is not correct. And yeah. when we are at these responsible posts, if we are not raising these questions, uh, you know, fighting these battles, then who will stand for us? I have a, you know, locomotive disability, but that doesn't mean I cannot stand up for my rights. Right. But but, but it's so surprising. Nobody else uh, ever stood before you to fight against this? That's surprising because this was happening in the, you know, uh, heart of India, capital of India. Right. right. And the second thing was that perhaps, you know, uh, uh, the bureaucracy is so rigid that Right now, everything is your, uh, what you say is digitalized, you know, you have to apply online. But uh, that time, you know, you have to submit through uh, hard copy and UPSC, it is, it is, it is a very close thing. It is very difficult to find entry into them. And again, to reach out to Ministry of Health and Family Welfare in the Nirman Bhavan, you do not get an appointment. You have to write letters and letters. There is no response from the bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. So it was really tough that time. Mm -hmm. So... Till 2010, the humanity was so far, everyone with disability were quiet and were suffering. I only give you one example of what was happening uh, for to, uh, you know, disabled doctors in employment. Right. And that was the same scenario even in the IS category. If you see, there are lots of blind, uh, you know, uh, people who have uh, you cleared IAS and they were not given IAS jobs because of the same discrimination. My God, yeah. We saw the same discrimination happening again at IAS, you know, when with Ira Singhal, who was denied IAS job on the reason that she has kyphoscoliosis. Mm-hmm. Next time, next year, she applied under general category. And you know right. what her rank was? Rank number one. And she was wow. given the job. Wow. So that's what I call, you know, systemic discrimination. State-sponsored mm-hmm. discrimination. What else do you call this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The systemic discrimination and what kind of, uh, I mean, trauma uh, the person must be going through when they are doing everything right in terms of their abilities uh, in their profession, but we are just being ignored by the system. 
tell me, Doctor Satendra, 2010 and now we're in 2020. Are you happy with the kind of work, uh, the activism work that you have been doing, and the community has been supporting? I think one of the good thing what which has happened since then is the internet boom. Yeah. A lot of people are now on social media, so whenever they face any sort of a discrimination, they raise their voice. even if it is not with the relevant authorities but at least they are raising it on social media platforms right. so what is happening is that people are you know now they tend to relate with what is happening so it is a good laudable effort but still uh, in india 69.9 around 70% of disabled population they live in rural areas oh my god okay. and still i mean you know uh, in the global south we still talk about disability in terms of you know uh, the big north and south divide 70% live in low and middle income countries and we are talking about these people and even in these people nobody actually talks about the rights of people with psychosocial disabilities or mental illness right even in the past 5 years if you have seen there are instances of people with mental illness who are being chained and only after the intervention of honorable courts you know they had to be rescued so these gross human right violations are happening even in the 21st century post ratification of uncrpd so right. we have you know big things we have laws we have conventions we have two good beautiful laws laws now um, rpd 2016 act and mhca 2017 but they are no more than just a piece of papers until and unless society yes. implement these into fruition mm-hmm. absolutely so what happens <laughs> to the 70% of the people who are in the villages we are talking about digital india we are talking about accessible india campaign uh, honorable prime minister in 2015 launched the sugamya bharat abhiyan mm-hmm. but you tell me that in india there is a huge digital divide still there are lots of areas and hilly areas where there is no electricity or internet connectivity yes our trains a main uh, transport system which is there indian railways you still see indian railways are they accessible to people with disabilities they are not mm-hmm. so and even accessible india campaign they only talk about select cities they are not reaching out to the villages and rural areas so still we are making these big big announcements but but the harsh reality is that we are you know pretty far behind but uh, the good thing which is happening is that still various categories of disabilities people are finding their feet they are raising their voices mm-hmm. but still for many other disabilities which are uh, more marginalized like deaf blindness like uh, mental illness like intellectual disabilities mm-hmm. we need more vociferous activists and especially when i say vociferous activist i am hinting towards people with lived experiences of disabilities mm-hmm. right so uh, we need more people who can share their experiences with lived uh, lived experiences with disabilities but tell me dr satendra has the uh, has the point of view uh, or uh, the way the society looks at it uh, changing do you see any transformation happening over the years largely it is now happening towards you know uh, what i call as the prominent disabilities even if currently if you talk about disabilities largely people talk about you know a locomotor disabilities visual mm-hmm. and hearing disabilities right still we are not talking about you know the rights of intellectual disabilities people with down syndrome autism yeah uh, autism spectrum disorder these were actually you know and specific learning disabilities were added as a new disabilities over only in the new act and right. then we have you know uh, again uh, if you look at the various things the new law our new 
RPD 2016 Act says that there has to be a 5% reservation in higher education right. and 4% reservation in employment. But if you look around, I mean, the recent, uh, the identified posts uh, advertised by All India Institute of Medical Sciences for all 50 names in the India, they are, they're completely filled with, you know, uh, what I call as, you know, you can call it as a discriminatory uh, guidelines because they are, uh, debarring various categories of people with disabilities for employment posts. If I give you one common example of uh, mental illness, right? because now there is out of that 4% of job reservation, 1% has to be from, you know, intellectual disabilities and uh, mental illnesses and multiple disabilities. So right. if you look at the, you know, the list of identified posts, which are there identified by the AIMS, they say that a person with mental illness is not suitable in the group ABCD post of registrar, general duty medical officer, mm-hmm. medical social service officer, physiotherapist, occupational therapist, mm-hmm. AIDS counselor, public health nurse, storekeeper, library guard, warden, dispatch rider, driver. Now, what is the basis that, what is the logic and what is the evidence that people with mental illness cannot do these jobs? Mm-hmm. We know so, the Nobel laureate Nash. Yeah, John Nash. The, yes, so who, he won the uh, you know the Nobel Prize in economics, yeah. mathematics, yeah. right? Now, what is the logic that you are debarring people with mental illness into these posts, post mm-hmm. CRPD, post your new MHCA? 2017 act in 2020 there is right. no logic for that and even in fact when the when the bill was there or the disabilities bill uh, during that time even um, the union minister manaka gandhi she was part of the group of ministers a uh, list of five cabinet ministers who were studying the rights of persons with disabilities bill and she made that you know horrific statement how can schizophrenic be given a job and that time, people with mental illness throughout India, they started the ha- campaign hashtag We Can Work. So people with wa- various, you know, mental illness and psychosocial disabilities, they uh, p- they came up with this uh, hashtag We Can Work on Twitter and social media. Mm-hmm. And again, the same thing is happening again because how? What is the logic? We what logic are you using when you are identifying these posts? Are you have you ever included any person with disability in those committees? Have you included any disability rights activists in those committees? Or have you ever included doctors with disabilities in those committees? You mm-hmm. haven't. Mm-hmm. Then who has given you the right to decide what a blind person can or cannot do? Mm-hmm. What a deaf person can or cannot do? Mm-hmm. What somebody with bipolar disorder can or cannot do? You have mm-hmm. no right to do that. Totally. Totally. That's a very important point, Dr. Satinjo. But tell me, tell me something. Do we have, now suppose a person with disability is going through so much of personal trauma, low self-esteem, uh, fighting the society, fighting themselves. Do we have adequate resources to help them reach out somewhere? Like, do we have trained uh, doctors, uh, psychiatrists to handle that kind of a mental health issue? Uh, I think there is a big role of caregivers in this issue. Right. And uh, when we say that, you know, uh, the society has their prejudices and biases, I think we need to look out what is the root cause of this biases because there are so many people out there who are out there willing to help. Mm -hmm. But the only issue is that they don't even know how to approach somebody who is having disability. Right. Even in 2020, many people, they have, there is no consensus. They don't even know how to 
call a fellow disabled person, whether they should call him or her or them as divyang or differently abled or someone with special needs. They have no idea. Really? We are still tackling on the terminologies. And mm-hmm. I think the main thing is that we need to look at from the beginning. I think right from the school time, right from the school curriculum, we need to talk about disability as something which is a developmental and human rights issue. It is not a charity approach. That will will be the beginning when your peers and you need to talk about more of the inclusive schools. So right. when you are studying, when you are studying with somebody, <clears throat> your peer who is having an autism or Down syndrome, you do not see them, uh, you know, as an alien. You embrace the diversity. Everybody right. is different. Even two identical twins are not identical. Right. So we need to embrace this diversity and think. Uh, that's why I think the focus should be on more of the inclusive schools. And then, of course, there is a problem with the resources. I mean, if you talk about mental health, we do not have enough uh, psychiatrists. We do not have enough counselors. Yeah. But then again, what the minimum we can do is that at least we need to be appreciative of the fact that we know how to identify those red signs, those red flags. Right. We need to be vigilant. We need to be peer support is very important because parents are the last people to know about something which is grappling with somebody who is in a say studying in a medical college it is usually the peers who are the first one who can identify when a person is going into a depression or not usually faculty learns it very late so um, if your peers are appreciative of the fact that what are the danger signals which you can identify and they know how to approach people who are already closed the doors they they who do not want to interact with other people that is the i think the main problem because uh, i can give the example of mentoring program how we started this at our medical college we started mm-hmm. with a mentoring program right. and initially in 2009 we 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 developed the idea that it has to be a faculty mentoring that we will assign the first year medical students because in delhi in our medical college mm-hmm. we receive students from pan india Mm-hmm. So, right so we, we have somebody from sekanga uh, uh, ganganagar in rajasthan in gujarat somebody from northeast somebody from uh, south india so all of these are studying in our medical college and then of course there are at a young age of 18 there are other issues also you are uh, you know uh, when you are joining a medical college everything is new it yeah. is a very distressing time for you so we appointed faculty mentors for the medical students but very soon after the first year we realized that this model is not working Right. The reason for that was that students are more closer to their near peers. Mm-hmm. We changed the entire structure. We started near peer mentoring. We recruited mm-hmm. students from the you know third semester to ninth semesters. We mm-hmm. paired them in a, in company of the faculty members, and that is the model which has been you know working really good. But again, the problem with that is that it is helping lots of people who come forward and ask for help. we realize that there are still lots of people who are have grappling with mental health issues these yeah. are the ones who have closed their doors to other people mm-hmm. they are not the ones they are these are the ones who are slipping under the radar mm-hmm. so how to you know find them and that was the time when last year we started our mental health support group space uh, which is safe place for effective counseling and empathy because it is the your peers who can identify because they are the first person to notice when you are missing classes when you are you are having those days you know uh, glooms so how to contact them and contact them because uh, for very long time our logo was smart people ask for help yeah but we we very quickly realized associated with the logo of the uh, manipal center student support center which is a wonderful um, student support wellness center for 
people with mental health issues their logo their logo is asking for help is not a sign of weakness right so we need to create that space where people can share these things in a comfortable non threatening uh, environment and where they can you know uh, uh, have trust on their fellow members and you know uh, they where they are quick to identify those red signs and they are able to intervene they are able to listen to them have an empathetic listening and at least uh, help those people who are in need right space is what you said am i did i get that right uh, the community yeah. where and is this like online anyone can sort of uh, who's trying to reach out can uh, connect with the space no it is entirely for the medical students of the university college of medical sciences okay uh, because uh, we have uh, around our batch strength was 150 medical students who went into ucms mm-hmm. now it has been increased to 180 and so for all the professionals first second and final professionals we thought that we need to have some sort of a community to tackle these issues so it is entirely for uh, ucms students there are alumni also there are faculty members also and um, the whole idea is that you know uh, people are there to provide that safe space for them because we witnessed in our medical college in the past 5 years a death by suicide among an undergraduate mm-hmm. a postgraduate as well as a faculty member Oh my god. Yeah. Sure. And this is not common this is very common because recently also we saw a spate of you know six suicides yes. happening at Orlando Institute of Medical Sciences. Yes. So it is actually in a way indirectly you can say that this is sort of a mental health pandemic which is happening. Mhm. And we need yes. to quickly act until unless otherwise it will be too late. Yes, absolutely and there is uh, this episode which I think I mentioned you that I really want to do like when when you come uh, come to doctors. Uh, mm. that's why suicide specifically and why is the rate so high the world over not just in india but everywhere else yeah because day before yesterday only ncbcr has released their uh, uh, recent data of 2019 on suicides mm. and there is a very interesting finding in that if you compare that with 2016 yeah to with 2019 the third most common cause of death by suicide is substance abuse mm and i can tell you that in colleges medical colleges and university colleges mm-hmm. even in the capital of india the rate of substance abuse is very high mm-hmm. how would you define substance or abuse? not i mean the intake of drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. right right it is happening there and authorities they are turning blind eye towards it right now mm-hmm. they are not ignoring the fact but right now it has in this the recent 2019 data of suicide says that you know there is this is the number 3 cause and mm. what are we doing are, are we tackling this drug peddlers the nexus which is happening or not but but, but it's everywhere uh, dr satyendra even the the suicides uh, in bollywood uh, that happened recently have been sort of tracked to drugs so right. i mean is it like uh, becoming uh, infiltrating every areas of our life Absolutely. So then, the next question is that our health minister is currently chairing the World Health Assembly, isn't it? Mm. And when there was this death happening in the first death by the postgraduate in the psychiatry yeah. department, happened in All India Institute of Medical Sciences. He tweeted that you know uh, my uh, he tweeted that you know my eyes are in tear. Uh, I mean, with the teary eyes, he mentioned something that this yeah. is very unfortunate. So I mean, the the logical question is that why the health minister is saying it's unfortunate? It is in his hands. Right. Do we have a national suicide? I mean, we are in September. Today is third September. Right. In this suicide awareness month, 
do we still have a you know a national suicide prevention strategy or not it is not mm-hmm. the mental health care act 2017 section 29 is very very clear it says that appropriate government shall plan design and implement programs for the number one promotion of mental health and number two reduce suicides and attempted suicide in the country Right. So I filed a right to information act because since I'm in the medical edu- in the field of medical education, so I filed this RTI with the, you know the big autonomous institutions, All India Institute of Medical Sciences, Jipmer Pondicherry, PGI yeah. Chandigarh, and and the fifteen medical institutions under the University of Delhi. Right. That please show me the data of that. What are the interventions you have you know started as which are mandatory under the MSc 2017. Yeah. and they have no data apart from few cmas they do not have any concrete plan how to tackle this thing right so, so long way to go long long way to go definitely what are what are we waiting for we have a national mental health policy 2014 it uh-huh. has provided a strategic direction it says that you know we need to implement programs to address alcohol abuse and other drug abuse to implement suicide reduction programs So what is stopping the honorable prime minister of india honorable health minister of india why can't they in this suicide prevention month declare that you know they have a national suicide prevention strategy right no but we have a lot of policies there is mental health care act 2001 but nothing is implemented everything is in the like policy level that's the problem we have we are you know the best people in the whole entire globe to frame policies <laughs> but we are the poorest to execute them right So what needs to be done for it then what are we going to do about this uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh that's that's a tricky question but i think i mean uh, people with lived experiences they need to come forward because we talk about you know top down and bottom up approach top down approach they are people are there they have made laws they have made policies but until and unless there has to be you know bottom up approach until and unless the actual users the people who are affected with disabilities they stand up they create that that uh, you know uh, that mentoring with and they partner with non disabled people i don't think anything will happen so it is a collective responsibility both disabled people and non disabled people we need to tackle this and i think it's time has come that we need to start a movement otherwise it will start be too late movement otherwise um... otherwise i mean everyone is saying uh, too on twitter i mean everyone is tweeting i was just talking about it to another guest uh, who mm-hmm. happened in the last episode i said we are tweeting but is what's the impact you know like i am doing the podcast but what is the impact you know so i mean we are doing our bit whatever we can but mm-hmm. is the real transformation anywhere happening or it's just like <clears throat> slow is uh, i mean change is always very slow uh, mm-hmm. you are creating this podcast but you never know who is listening that yeah. i've been listening to your podcast when i when you are when i am waiting for somebody in the parking lot right so i hope that similarly there are people i mean perhaps the policy makers or somebody mm-hmm. or or a student who who is having depressive episodes probably they are you know uh, listening somewhere and gaining those insights we asked this question when we started the mentoring program at ucms we invited uh, an expert from uh, iit delhi who had uh, an experience of running a very successful mentoring program and mm-hmm. we asked him sir that uh, you know how we will address the, the success rate of this program so he said we are asking wrong questions he said mm-hmm. even if your mentoring program is able to help a single person Lovely. the program mm-hmm. is a mm-hmm. success and mm-hmm. i believe in that we don't have to change an entire world you right. have to change a single world a change a person change a world and i think by that it will start creating a ripple effect that when 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 somebody helps you 
you, you tend to help other people also. So it is attitudes are always very difficult to change. It will take some time, but even, you know, if we lose hope, then I mean, who, who will come forward and do these things? Mm-hmm. We need to continue our march. Mm, totally, totally. I, I, that, that's a great point. A single person is good enough. But tell me, uh, uh, Dr. Satendra, in terms of currently, mm-hmm. if you can just sort of condense, what are the rights of a person with disabilities? Well, there are various rights. And the first mm-hmm. thing is that, you know, anybody with a disability or caregivers or otherwise also non-disabled people, they need to read the first thing, which is there is UNCRPD. Mm. Because that that is an human rights approach towards disability. Right. So that will change your entire thinking about that. So that is the first document I would suggest people will read. And that will give, uh, give you an idea that, you know, people with disability has both, uh, you know, uh, rights as well as responsibility. Right. If, I, if I take the example from the medical college, any student with a disability coming to a medical college, uh, if I specifically give uh, take the example of mental illness, they need to know that even students with mental illness or psychosocial disability, they have a right to get an equal opportunity to access the courses at the university. Mm-hmm. They have the right to request reasonable accommodation. Right. Now, this is something which is very interesting because reasonable accommodation has been given in our uh, RPD 2016 Act. But what is that? Now, reasonable Accommodation means necessary and appropriate modifications and adjustments to ensure to people with disabilities the enjoyment or exercise of rights equally with others. Now, what does that mean? Now, this means that if there is some student, say, who is having dyslexia or somebody with ADHD or if there is somebody on bipolar medication which causes him cognitive fogging or that which you can see in chronic illness like fibromyalgia or chemotherapy or because of depression, Right. Then ideally, there should be a breaks during the examinations. For example, diabetic people, they're allowed breaks during examinations. Right. They, these people who um, they should be given compensatory time. Now, we earlier we used to call this as extra time. Now, mm. this is not a charity that, you know, you are giving disabled people an extra time. You are giving them a compensatory time that they are so that they are able to, you know, uh, perform on an equal basis with other non-disabled peoples. Then medical schools in the US and UK, they have reduced distraction environment or private room exams for somebody who is having anxiety or somebody who is having OCD or processing impairments. But do we have that in India? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Right. So right now, so much talks has been happening because of suicides. We have been seeing so many talks happening in the past four or five months. But I haven't yet heard a single talk where we are talking about reasonable accommodations to somebody who is having mental health issues. Mm, absolutely. The problem is that we are using a reverse approach. In India, if there is somebody, uh, is some, the first thing is that, you know, uh, after the 2016 Act, uh, Medical Council of India, they have framed their guidelines that who can pursue MBBS or not, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they come with their discriminatory guidelines, which I challenge in the Delhi High Court also. And they said, uh, I'll take the example of, uh, you, know, you know, mental behavior. They right. say that candidates with autism spectrum uh, disorders and mental illness, they are not suitable for MBBS profession. So there was a single psychiatrist in that committee and he say, right. he said, stated on mm. record that right now there is a lack of objective methods to establish presence and extent of mental illness, which is debatable. Right. And based on his guidelines, people with 
mental illness they are not allowed to pursue medicine mm-hmm. there was this candidate who got admission but later he was rejected on this premise that he is having a schizoaffective disorder then he went to kolkata high court and kolkata high court gave their landmark judgment that this is his right to pursue higher education right. this is given in our rpd act that people with disabilities including people with mental illness they have the right to pursue higher education there is a 5% reservations and the honorable high court of kolkata west bengal they allowed him to pursue his career in medicine but still the guidelines have not been updated so we are seeing that bias which is there mm-hmm. so but at least that person he stood for his rights and fight out in the court right so we have a novel landmark order and this is how you bring change so right. some certain type of disabilities were excluded but you know because of our representation to honorable supreme court and a subsequent uh, case in delhi high court many categories of disabilities were allowed to pursue medicine but that bias is still existing so we need to tackle these biases totally so the change is slow but the hope is there and every single person is important if it if their life gets transformed by any means through a podcast through how you're raising your voice how you're affecting other lives as well Absolutely. So yes, yes, totally. Doctor Satendra, we are out of time. So thank you so much. Uh, it was a great conversation. It was a simplified conversation, and I really hope that our listeners uh, enjoyed this. Thank you, Sujita. Thank you so much. So I always keep wondering that does writing on Twitter or talking about any mental health issues on Twitter have any impact? Like I'm wondering that how much impact is this podcast bringing? is it making any change you know like i'm looking at the analytics i'm looking at the figures and it is so beautifully explained by dr satender singh saying that even if you manage to transform one single life you've done your job and of course the change is always very slow and it is so slow that you actually don't realize what you're changing mm-hmm.